Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me, every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Alicia Chang is the author of A Quitter's Paradise. This episode was guest hosted by Julie Chavez, a Zivi Books author of the upcoming memoir, Everyone But Myself. She's also the host of the podcast, Ask a Librarian. Alicia's writing has appeared in Bodega Mag, Fence, GQ, The Rumpus, and other publications. An instructor of creative writing, Alicia has taught fiction workshops and other courses at Blue Stoop, Kelly Writers House, Villanova University, and University of Pennsylvania. She has received fellowships and support from the Center for Fiction, Jerome Foundation, Kundiman, Kimmel Harding Nelson Center, Swatch Art Residency in Shanghai, Monson Arts, and Willapa Bay Air. She holds an MFA from Columbia University's School of the Arts and lives in New York. A Quitter's Paradise is published by SJP Lit from Zando. That's Sarah Jessica Parker's imprint. 
Elisha, I am so happy to talk to you today. Welcome to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I am so thrilled. Uh, where are you in your whole publication run-up with interviews and all the things? Have you been doing a bunch yet? Not a lot, but it's definitely been ramping up. So the book comes out June 6th yes. and launches the 7th and also the 15th. So, you know, things are really ramping up. I'm saying a lot of things about the book for the first time or things that I hadn't thought of before, which is, I don't know, kind of fun. And it's it's a pleasure to relive the book for now. (laughs) Yes. Right. So true. Early days, right? You're like, yeah, I'm sure it gets to a point where you're like, oh, I've said this literally 1 million times. I prefer not to again. (laughs) That makes sense. You know, you answered my first question for you was what's, what's sort of wonderful in this moment you're prepping for your debut. We are about 10 days out when we're recording this. So what feels really great for you right now? Like, what are you loving about it? Oh man, just hearing that people have read it. I mean, mm. you telling me that you've just finished reading it and, you know, people and having the opportunity to answer questions about it so far has been just kind of surreal. I mean, that's, you know, good and bad. I think it it feels very vulnerable, of course, but it does. It's really nice to be able to clarify things about it or rethink things about it that I wrote, you know, some time ago. So that's been, that's been fun. Interesting. I didn't even think about that, that, you know, you kind of forget about pieces of it and then people are bringing it back. And especially since readers catch and things resonate with them that you wouldn't always expect. Yeah, exactly. I think you know, some lines have certainly been quoted to me that I, I'm trying to remember who they're attributed to. Like the line looks familiar and I remember it, but you know, which character said it and in what context? Yeah. It's, it's just fun. (laughs) Yeah. I'm so glad. What's been the toughest about it so far? Is it the vulnerability that you mentioned? I think maybe it's, I think it's hard to come up with the exact or precise answer for the book or for some interpretation of the book. Mm. You know, people will send me interview questions or ask me questions and I can think of five, 10 different answers that I think are all correct and that feel really real to me, but I don't know, you know, it depends on the day. And and of course, that's why I wrote the book, right? Like I knew the answer to the question. I wouldn't have had to write a book about it. Yes. So that's been tough. It's been hard to kind of even answer the question, what is the book about? I, this is a flabbergasting question to me. I wouldn't even start to tell anyone what this book is about. Like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I finished it. I've read the whole thing. That's what I should say. I should say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Next question. I think that'll really get you far with any interviewers. (laughs) But you know, what's so funny about that is that that is probably my least favorite question. I'm an elementary librarian and the kids ask me all the time, what's this book about? And I'm like, I can't tell you that. And also, even if I've read it, it might be about something to me that it's not about to you. That It feels like such a huge question to try and drill down. So I can see how, especially for this book, which I was blown away by. I know I mentioned when we first hopped on, I was so impressed. But yes, I would struggle to say, what is this book about? Because I think that one of my favorite things, so the book we're talking about, I haven't even mentioned the title. That just shows you what a great job I'm doing. A Quitter's Paradise, which is an amazing title. We'll come back to that. But I think the thing I 
wrote down when I was kind of taking notes afterward is that this is a book that will draw readers in, but it also draws readers out. And what I mean by that is it really, it makes you think. When I was reading it, I kept thinking, this is drawing, I'm drawing things out of myself that I haven't seen before because I'm asking myself different questions. I love that. And I really, I loved it. It was so, so well done. Your language is gorgeous. And I just, I have so many things to pick your brain about. But yes, I can see how people would quote lines to you because I wrote down a bunch. I mean, like I was reading today and you had in there, how does a dream work? And I just thought, oh my gosh, you could write an entire book. Just that's the title of a new book. It's so this is such a deep, it's a deeply felt and written story. I don't know if that would, if that fully captures it. I mean, I'm even struggling to find the words because it's just so rich. So tell me a little bit for you, what was the experience of writing it like? Like why? So maybe not what is the book about, but what was the motivation for this is the story I want to tell? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I I started writing really the character or I started at first just trying to write in a voice mm-hmm. that I think was really me trying to separate my voice from you know all the voices that I hear, all the influences and also assumptions and expectations. You know, I started writing this book in my 20s. So I think that was just very loud. It's a period Mm -hmm. of time when you're just, things are really saturated. Like it's, you just are a little oversaturated, I guess. Yes. So I, I think initially Eleanor, the first character we meet, Eleanor Leo really kind of was born out of that, Mm -hmm. born out of kind of looking for a particular voice that I also wanted to spend time with you know, that I could, that could sustain me working on a project for however many years that ultimately became. (laughs) Yeah. So I think for me, one of the things that, that really made me want to write and keep writing was just keeping myself surprised by what I could produce. And that was certainly in the voice and, um, yeah, kind of went from there. Interesting. And you are a teacher of writing. Correct or professor? Yeah. Are you a professor? Yeah, I've taught creative writing at a couple universities. Yeah, universities. Yes, among them Villanova, which I've heard of. Yes, Villanova <laughs> um, and Penn. I was living in Philadelphia for a while. So. Oh wow! Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah. So you are a teacher and or an instructor, a professor of creative writing. So now that you've gone through this whole process and seen sort of the beginnings, where do you think the place to to begin is for most writers. Is it with the voice or with the character or where, where do you counsel your students to go? Oh, I don't counsel them that way. (laughs) I think every student, you know, every person comes to writing for very different reasons. Yeah. First of all, and then with also really very different strengths, very different projects. And I think if I were talking to students, I would probably tell them to kind of just focus on what makes them feel like they're taking the most risks, I think, on the page, right? Like feel like they're doing something really worth writing and and kind of mm-hmm. dangerous. Cause I don't know, there's not that much to lose. You're just at the page. So yeah. <laughs> might as well go crazy. Is that something that you ask yourself or that you focus on taking risks as you write? Yes. 
I think so. I do try to, I don't know if I'm thinking about it that way when I'm in the process of writing. Sure. I think more that I'll write something and then say, I've read or written this already. This feels really just, it's a lot of trial and error for me, which I do not recommend as a (laughs) method of writing. It's very slow and inefficient, but yeah, a lot of it is just writing and thinking, is this me telling the character to do something or did the character really do this? And I'm, I'm kind of translating because if I'm controlling it and telling them to do this, it always kind of falls flat and it's, it's hard to find what that thing is that they do that I am writing and yet also surprises me, you know? Interesting. This is amazing to me because I am somewhat risk averse just in general. That's sort of my personality. So hearing you talk about it, I mean, that you're right though. You have to embrace risk to get novelty. And there are so many things that have been written, been expressed. And so you are pushing past that. That's a really, I'm going to be thinking about that when I'm not taking risks and I'm writing literally the same thing I've written over and over again. But I'll think of you. Yeah, I mean, we have a lot of those pages. I have plenty of those pages. (laughs) Well, this goes into what I wanted to ask you too. I think this book, you do such an effective job with the white space, with your page breaks and with the way that the book is even typeset. I mean, it just, it really gives the reader enough space to think about whatever the book is leading them to think about. So was that an intentional choice for you? Because you also do a really good job of placing the white space, if that makes sense. Because sometimes there are books with a lot of white space, but it's not necessarily intentional, but yours feels very much intentional. So when you were, is that something that happens later on in the process for you? Or do you know when you're writing, oh, that's where a break needs to go? I think a lot of it happened while I was writing Mm. because, you know, there's these shifting perspectives and shifting timeframes. So I did spend a, a lot of thought on the ordering, obviously, and then also where things would be broken and where we should take a breath away from a certain character and move somewhere else or a breath away from a certain, you know, really charged moment. Yes. But certainly there was also editing after the fact, especially once you see it in galley form or, you know, Mm. in the PDF form where it's laid out on the pages. It's kind of like a, oh my, that's an insanely long paragraph that I didn't (laughs) see in the Word document. I have to reassess. Yeah, you're exactly right. To see it actually types that really does change the energy of it. And the way... Yeah, definitely. Which I was surprised by. I just, hmm. it just lets you see it in you, I guess. That's a really interesting point. I had never thought about books being typeset before, you know, just learning more about publishing. And it is just the details and the way in which it impacts the reading experience. It's just incredible. I love those kind of, those little random details, which I already said that word. So again, with the novelty and risk, gosh, I'm going to go buy myself a thesaurus. <laughs> <laughs> and the editor and, and publisher. And yeah, do so much work on, on that front, right? To lay out every page is, I can't even imagine. I know. It does sound like my nightmare a little bit. <laughs> I'd, I'd probably quit about 30 pages in. Nah, I'm done. I'm really bored with this. I got to be done. <laughs> okay. So I want to just talk a little bit about Eleanor, the first character we meet and would you call her the main character in this book? 
I don't know. I'm undecided. Okay. I, we talk about her a lot. She starts the book. She ends the book. And, you know, it's her sure. POV. So, or, or, you know, her yeah. first person POV. But yes. I do think it's a book about the family. I really do believe yes. that. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting one. I really liked how Eleanor is someone, for me, who feels like makes questionable choices. Say the least. <laughs> Right. I'm trying to put it delicately. I never want to give too much away, (laughs) but I would read the book and put it down occasionally and be like, okay, what is she going to do here? So it's interesting to hear you talk about writing and being sure that she was doing what you believed would be true to her character, as opposed to what you were putting her on like a little marionette. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, did you start out with a vision of kind of the bookends of the book, like where you would start and end, or did you just jump in and see where it took you? Definitely the latter. Okay. <laughs> yeah. For me, the process of writing the whole book and also specifically her voice felt very much like a pursuit. I just, there was a lot of information that I felt I I couldn't access or was somehow being actively oh. <laughs> withheld from me. And, you know, I think it's because that ultimately became her character, right? She's very elusive. She's a really slippery person, very evasive and really smart about doing it. I think she can keep pretty much everyone in her life at kind of arm's length. And if that's the case, it it was made it difficult for me to, you know, just lay out plain what she thought or, or felt because that was not true to her character. So that took a lot of, I think, just kind of moving around and and that's sort of how the the family narratives that's what they were born out of was kind of mm. initially looking for more access basically into this character's motivations. Yeah. I'm not assuming that you make the sorts of choices that uh Eleanor would, <laughs> but I feel like she's so evasive and are you are you an evasive person? Well, hard hitting. Journalism <laughs> <laughs> here. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you, I mean, for me, it's so uncomfortable to read about her because I am not that way. (laughs) And because, but I fear those, or I think about those parts of myself that stay hidden. And so also for me to say, I'm not that way. Well, I'm saying that, but am I really? Or is it just that I choose what I'm showing? You know what I'm saying? Like I do, because the whole One of the things about Eleanor is that I think she's unclear on what her own personality is like and that she's even doing this. Yes. So I think that part of it is uncomfortable to watch her engage in these patterns, right? These behavior patterns over and over again that, that, you know, we certainly see. And I think other characters see, Mm -hmm. but that she's just not able to, I don't know, understand. So did that ever create discomfort for you when you were writing it? Or is it just like, are you neutral with her or with the writing of a character? Did what? Just her evasiveness. And like, do you know what I'm saying? Is there ever like a tension there for you as the writer? Yeah. I I was really frustrated. She's a very frustrating person. (laughs) (laughs) I think frustrated on her behalf. Or not on her behalf, probably on other people's behalves um, in the book, but uh, frustrated in, you know, wanting to know. And I think part of that is, you know, if she were my friend, I would 
treat this. I would have treated obviously the relationship <laughs> differently than if she were someone I invented. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I think she was pretty frustrating. Uh, and, and for me, the book was frustrating for a lot of years. I'm not going to kind of sugarcoat that. And yeah. I think that was a big part of it was that she was really hard to nail down. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. What were the other parts? How many years was this that you were working on it? I think I was probably writing it for, let me think, maybe six, six or seven years. Way to go. I'm impressed. And <laughs> are you? Is that yeah. No, no, I am. I am. As someone who gives up after 30 <laughs> seconds on things, I'm like, this is never going to work. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> And then, you know, there were many years also of, of editing, yes. you know, with the, with my agent, with my editor and, and obviously waiting until publication. But I think the, the writing and many breaks in between, of course, but of course. was about six years, six, seven years. Wow. Amazing. I love hearing about that because this is a crafted novel. I feel like when I read it, I think this is, I mean, it's just, like I've said, it's so impressive, but it just, I feel like you are a writer's writer in a lot of ways because you leave so much room in the narrative. And it sounds like because you have taken time, not only literal time, but the just time and intention and depth to really think about what is on the page. I think it really shines through. It's so, I, I really enjoyed reading it and I found myself so invested in all of the characters, but especially with Eleanor, mostly because I mean, and I'm sure this is what I mean about drawing people out. I'm like, gosh, this really shows how controlling I am. Like I still, I want to control her. <laughs> be like, can you, can you lock it up for me? please? That would be great. <laughs> Cause you're stressing me out. <laughs> it's a stressful read. Please use that as a pull quote somewhere. <laughs> Someone, it'll be great. No, but it was so enjoyable. And I love, that's what I mean. Like, this is a, a thinking person's book. And and yet, 
You could also very much just read it for the beautiful language or some of the things you put in there. I mean, I, it was early on in the book, but you said, how could they go about chatting and laughing when they could lose someone they loved at any moment? And sentiments like that are, this book is packed with really perfect sentences. I was, it was a joy to read it. So I'm so Thank glad you. that it's going to be out in the world and I can see it resonating with so many people. So I wanted to ask you a couple more questions about the science aspect. Are you a science person? Do you like, what was, cause you know, they're in the world of science and research. So how was that the setting? Yeah, absolutely. I would consider myself interested in scientific research. Certainly. Okay. I think when I was younger, I attempted an undergrad degree in neuroscience and immediately discovered that I was not suited for that line of study, which was Understood. good. Yeah. No. Yeah. Great. Hey, <laughs> no early. more information. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think even knowing that about myself early on, it, it allowed me to just find a space that I was interested in kind of just not from a work perspective or something that I would be so invested in, but really just out of pleasure that I could read whatever research papers I could understand even. <laughs> right, of course. At will, I could read pop science books. I had friends who were able to major in neuroscience and who have been, you know, very good friends of mine who have helped me really engage in all the research of this book. I mm-hmm. asked doctors of science now and yeah, I, without them, I really would not, I don't think there's any way I could have written those sections. There's so much that I was allowed to see in labs and and just ask and re-ask, you know, of friends that I, I could not do. Yes. <laughs> Someone that I respected that was a stranger. <laughs> Probably should not have done to friends, but I did. <laughs> but that's just what they get. I yes. mean, hey, that's that's just the privilege of loving you and being your friend. So they're fine. Exactly. <laughs> you know, but you did a really good job with it because I was immediately transported. So I took a lot of pre-med classes in college. And so I remember there, all of them, of course, had labs and the university I went to had a large research budget. So just remembering some of the ins and outs, like labs are just a very singular place and the way that people are there and just their rhythms feel almost removed from the real world in so many ways especially as it relates to the research. So it it really makes for a perfect setting for that reason, I thought. Yeah, I think just coming into, honestly, any workplace as an outsider where you have no understanding or what or expectation yes. is really exciting because it's just so taken for granted there and people are just going along with, you know, what they know and what they've been doing. And it is very strange to an outsider. and it's fun to just observe and, and kind of take down all these details. So yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's a very particular place. Yeah. Well, and what you were just saying now, that's so analogous, I think, to seeing into someone else's family. And I know that's something, you know, as you get older, when you just, especially if you are in a relationship with someone and you are seeing their family dynamics or whatever, that's how they grew up. That's normal to them. And then you come in and are like, this is super weird. Like, what are you doing? So I think that same idea where you're exactly right. There are so many things that we take for granted as normal, typical 
just the course of every day, whether it's work or the way that we run our lives. And so to really come in with an outsider's eye and a writer's eye, you just catch so much detail. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's like mm. being a spy. <laughs> yes. Yes. I always did think I'd want to be in the CIA, but <laughs> it didn't work out. I think I'd talk too much. I think <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think it's for me, unfortunately. So what is your favorite part? Just looping back around to the teaching since you have established that you don't tell them exactly what to do, and I would be a far more controlling and probably ineffective teacher as a result, what is your favorite part of it? Like, And especially now that you, I mean, your book's about to come out, what's the best part of what you have to offer and what you love to offer budding writers? Oh, that's a really good question. I think a lot of writers, young writers, especially in undergrad, and I was definitely like this too, I think they're really looking for a guidebook mm. or, you know, very set instructions or advice, you know, foolproof advice. And yeah. I do try to give some of that just because I know how unsteady the world is at that time. I remember, you know, yes. and sometimes you do just want someone to say, yeah, you should read this book here. This is a great book for you. You should definitely yeah. read it and think about it or, you know, <laughs> just something kind of concrete. Yes. But also making space for and helping them make space for the fact that that's part of the gig. You know, part of the gig is that it's it's very uncertain. It just takes a lot of time mm. and it takes a lot of exploration outward, exploration inward and all that stuff no one else can tell you how to do. Um and that's I don't know. I I really like being there for a student's journey through that or part of that. I think I just remember really wanting more guidance, you know, when I was younger. And I think a writing class is always such an amazing place to get that because mm -hmm. uh, it so dovetails, you know, not just with your writing craft, but also with your life. And, and I really like that part of it. That is so, that's such a beautiful way to see it because it is, it's such a tricky time when you're that age. And yeah, there's so much exploration that's happening, but also you're kind of inundated by possibility also. Right. So for someone mm -hmm. to say, just hold on to this for a while until you figure out the next step is, you're right, that is a gift for them. So I'm glad that you're able to provide that and be part of their journey. That is beautiful. Yeah, it's really, it's really fun. I'm so glad. I know I mentioned it earlier, but before we go, I do want to hear real quick the title. How did, did you decide on that? Was it decided it before? Okay. So it didn't change. No. It's been. I decided okay. on that pretty early. Yeah. In the writing process. I think initially I, it's funny. I think a lot of, at least writing for me works like this. You start out just thinking, I like the way that sounds. I'm going to keep it around for a little. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what it means. Right. But I had already written about half the book. So it, it I knew it had to do with the book and I just felt really strongly that this was the title, mm -hmm. but I could not have said why. I could not really have told you a particular reason. And when I finished the book and, you know, asked myself, okay, is this title real? Like, is it just a placeholder? Should I come up with other titles? I looked at it again and understood that it fit quite well and applied to a lot of the characters. You know, we have characters who are ambitious and are striving and and persevering. And 
I think it's kind of playing or sort of a reminder that for every opportunity there is to strive, whether it's at work or in a, in a country, anywhere, there are plenty of opportunities to just not do that, right? Mm-hmm. You can always just quit. Anytime we talk about a place that's a paradise for people who are working hard, it means plenty of people have also decided not to, maybe um, in whatever capacity that means. Yeah. And I think that really is kind of, it does encapsulate a lot of the character's complexities for me. So, yes. Also, when I got partially into the book and when that line pops up, I thought, I want to go to the quitter's paradise. Like, I, I, it, maybe we could make an amusement park called yeah, exactly. the quitter's paradise, right? <laughs> Somebody else would have to build it because I just can be an attendee. I can't be right. the striver that builds a quitter's paradise, no, but no. I will frequent <laughs> it. Yes. <laughs> I, I think you're, my goodness, I have loved hearing your thoughtful answers to these things. And I think it is wonderful that you have more than one. That's right, because I think it's so true to this book and it feels like it's true to you too. And I think that's a gift. So I can't wait for people to read this book. And then I can't wait. I feel like this would be a great, one more plug. I feel like this would be a great book for like a book club to read, just in terms of, it's very, it's, elevated fiction in terms of its prose and its construction. And I think there would be so many good conversations to have about it. I can't wait for someone else to read it so that I can hold them as my conversational hostage and let them discuss it with me. It's going to be a pleasure. (laughs) I won't have friends after this either. So it's good. Yeah. Yours will leave you (laughs) for asking them questions about their labs. And mine will be like, I'm not talking about books with you anymore, Julie. Jeez. Oh, God. (laughs) Well, thank you for this time. Thank you for all of the thoughts. And I can't wait to see this book in the world. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here. Pleasure to have you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.